This is Space Cats Peace Turtles, the unofficial podcast for Fantasy Flight's Twilight Imperium. Episode 7, Good Riddance 3rd Edition. Music by Ben Prunty. Featuring Matt Martins and Hunter Donaldson. not a comedy podcast. It can be funny, though. We start funny, usually. We have a little bit of a funny start. Well, we're not going to be funny today, and I don't want it to be funny. I don't. I want to start... Okay, listen. So, this is what my morning was. I... I well, I got in... I got in last night. I slept on Matt's couch so we could record this at... 10 a.m. and I'm drinking coffee right now. I don't want to be funny. Let's get into the You know how most people, most people 10 a.m. is not that early. Today we're taking a look back. Yeah. We're talking about Twilight Imperium 3. We've had enough of TI4. We don't, we don't want to talk about it anymore. Well, also we've sort of run out, you know, we don't have the game yet, so. I wouldn't say we ran out, but yeah, we don't want to talk about No, no, our backs are to a wall, man. We don't know what to do with this. Listen. (laughs) Uh, But no, we really do want to take a look back. We're, We're like in the process right now of playing a bunch of games of TI3 and it's kind of like we know it's our last few games of TI3 so it's just got us thinking about all the all the different things that aren't going to be in TI4 from TI3 mm-hmm. and part of that reminiscent look back today we want to focus on all the things that we're just saying good riddance to. Yeah, the things we're not going to miss. We're to get out of here you, you know. Mm-hmm. I'll never see you again and I don't care. You're really getting close to that microphone here. Well, I'm trying to get picked up, you know? And I'm looking at it, and I'm like, I'm not, I don't think I'm getting picked. I'm, you know what it is? Is I'm actually starting to learn how to do this. <laughs> so. <laughs> so, let's dig into some things that uh, seem like are, uh, are great improvements in TI4, but, but from the TI3 perspective. So, Hunter, are you going to miss the, the TI3 rulebook? Oh, yeah. I'm definitely going to miss it. What I'm going to miss about it is that it was so well uh, put together. Actually, I don't know if I want to come out that strong. Um, it It's just not even a little bit messy at all. And let's move on. It's a very messy rulebook, Hunter. Oh, wait. I'm sorry. I meant it was very messy and very hard to use. I feel like it came from a different time of, like, rulebooks. There, there's almost become, like, there's a standard building right now. Mm-hmm. Fantasy Flight is, is kind of, I mean, a lot of their games are using the same standard, the, like, learn to play slash rules reference, two books, cover everything. It's perfect, actually. And, like, yeah, especially because I felt a little weird coming out so strong about, about how messy the TI3 rule book was there. You know, it was strong. You you felt the sarcasm. Yeah. You It was coded in it. I'm sure <laughs> your speakers are ruined. But, no, yeah, it's good. I like the new way they do it. I like rules reference. So what's wrong with the old way. It's just a dump. It's just like, here's the, all the game dumped in yeah. just an order. No particular order. <laughs> yeah. Like, the problem with it was always Twilight Imperium in general is a game full of rules. There mm-hmm. are two, there's so many rules and part of what you're playing against in Twilight Imperium is like, just trying to remember all those rules. That is right. definitely no, almost no player remembers every single rule and so you are always up against that barrier. And so, Anytime someone would call you out on some rule that you were maybe getting wrong, 
with TI3, the problem was always, all right, uh, give me 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. I have to sift through this rule book, see if I can just recollect where this one paragraph might be in the mess of the entire book. Mm -hmm. And then once you got the two expansions, also those two books and also the FAQ. It was like there were five different resources you had to, like, look through to just try to find any specific information. Yeah, and for players like me, you know, uh, I'm just like, oh, good, because this game's moving too fast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, actually, here's something very specific I want to say uh, that doesn't even have anything to do with what we're talking about, and feel free to cut it out. Uh, but uh, here's a really crazy idea that I had a long time ago that I do in my games. When I'm going to do something in Twilight Imperium, <laughs> and it involves a specific rule... I look it up before I do it. <laughs> and now I'm not trying to be mean to you, the listener. I don't know who you are, but I've been in so many situations where somebody's like, I'm going to pull this really complex maneuver, and I'm pretty sure I don't quite understand the rules. But before confirming that, I'm going to go for the maneuver. <laughs> and then Matt has to say, now hang on a second. <laughs> I don't think that you can take four planets in one turn yeah. sir <laughs> dude i like anytime i'm playing twilight imperium i ask for the book without telling someone why yeah. all the time i'm always like please hand me the book yeah. like, i got i gotta say um kudos to Twi uh, to fantasy flight for uh, this is only a pre-order bonus but i had always had a plan to make a hardcover copy of my rule book oh, because yeah, the way yeah. the amount of times i think it's passed around and just like I've seen people's Twilight Imperium books that are just, like, in shambles. And mm -hmm. it's so sad, but it's like, uh, I totally understand why, because, like, all that book does is travel from person to person's hand around the table. Yeah, and it's it's funny. I just realized, though, that the, the rule book to TI3, basically, it, it the way it's structured is a rules reference book if it wasn't organized based on any criteria yes. whatsoever. So <laughs> that, that's what it is. I just realized they're actually, the rules reference of TI4 and TI3, they're basically built the exact same way. It's just that one is just... Has no structure. Yeah, no structure at all. It's just like, here is everything yeah. and as we thought of. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a rules book that is based on the structure of, oh, and by the way, mm -hmm. oh, and by the way, this too. Oh, also another thing. <laughs> oh, and before you quit reading, uh, here's how you play. <laughs> so uh, let's talk about some other um, maybe like convoluted rules um, kind of specifically that, that we had big problems with. Uh, the first of which, this isn't a convoluted rule, but this was the very first weakness of Twilight Imperium we ever had. We, we you know, we booted up the game. Mm -hmm. I brought it home to everyone and mm -hmm. said, look at this gift we've all been waiting for. Um, it's time to really sink our teeth in. And after, I mean, two games, we, we all knew, man, that Imperial card sure is, it sure is weird. And, and it definitely railroads the rate of play. And it, and it feels there was a huge problem with Imperial 1 just granting two free victory points. Oh, it ruined every game. Yeah. yeah. It, the the number of times you could be, <clears throat> you know, oh, let's say Carl has eight points. Well, I can look at where the Imperial and the Initiative card are now, see how many rounds it will take before Carl gets the Imperial card, see if anybody else is going to be able to get to 10 points before him mm -hmm. and there were a number of games where we called it four rounds early because we knew it was impossible for anyone whoa, to stop whoa, whoa, whoa. i don't know about four you rounds. know well a number at least 
two. And I know there were games where it was like three rounds. I remember specific games where it was like we could look a few rounds down and be like, yeah, he's going to win it. But that was also when we were the least good at the game. You know, that kind of the first couple months well, of having it. Well, sure, we were the least good, but also when you're playing with the base game, you have the most incentive to be like Cold War-y as well. You know, it wasn't the ex- it was the expansions that brought in more reason to be aggressive. And so if everyone's being Cold War, like you can predict those kinds of things because it's like, well, you know, no one's no one has a big reason to like jump out and do some crazy maneuver because the game isn't necessarily going to reward that. Yeah, yeah. So for sure. So yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I was I that's Shattered Empire to me was always a necessary expansion to make Ti three function. As yeah, a, as a, yeah, as an actually dynamic game. I um, completely agree with that. I, I think it's funny that we we actually house ruled before we bought. Yeah. Shattered Empire. We actually house ruled Twi- or uh, Imperial Two right. into our game. You know, yeah, you just like write it on a post. And I think and honestly, if I think about it though, I think we only played with Imperial One like a really small handful of times, like less Four. than ten. Yeah, like, yeah, not, way less than 10. not too many times. Um, you know what? I, I kind of want to talk about the political deck. Yeah. I think it's great that we're because the political deck was way too many cards. I think just in general, even yeah. if they'd all been good, is just like it's way too, too many. many things. But they weren't all good. No, they were not all good yeah. and it was it required pruning. Yeah. I don't know if guys if you guys played TI3 and you did not prune your political deck, I am missing you, out. You bunch of snoozers. <laughs> you bunch of wake up. Yeah. Wake up sheeple. It wasn't very long before we found like a really good li- I don't even think we had the idea. I think we just were like, "Oh my god, there's so many political cards that like don't have any effect." And we never even thought to prune it. Mm-hmm. And then I think you found one of the lists on Board Game Geek, and you were like, "Oh my God, guys! Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have this amazing revelation to show you." <laughs> and like, we never went back. Like, mm-hmm. it was just, "Oh, this is the way to do it." And we pruned. I remember we pruned it ourselves, yeah. though, because yeah, what eventually. happened was I found a list that someone had made of like, "Here's my prune yeah. political." Deck. And we didn't like some of them, and there were some we didn't want to see gone. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we just and then we just did it ourselves, yeah, and it got down. so much better. Yeah, yeah. It, it never it, really got. I'll say this though. I feel like the political deck never really got like great. You that's know? well. That's why the agenda phase is something we're looking forward yeah, to so TI4. much. Because yeah, even with a pruned political deck, you still never saw the impact that everyone wants political cards to be. Those mm-hmm. those were advertised to me as like and like you're gonna have things that come in that change the rules of the game like all the time. Dude, yeah. The game's always gonna be changing and completely flipping on you. When we first started playing Twilight Imperium, that was like the number one, that, yeah. that what you just said is like what I would say to other people, like, oh my God, I just played this game and like, you vote on the rules. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and, and to slowly over time realize that that really wasn't the case was, was disheartening because it's just like, that's what you wanted to see happen was like if every single po- political card was close the wormholes or mm-hmm. restrict fleet supply or like or limit rub, tech, rub your belly and rub hang your, your head <laughs> like if it, if it was all at that level yeah, that caliber yeah, yeah i wish honestly i wish political cards were structured in such a way you know those ones where it's like if you vote for the people who voted for get a thing and if you vote against the people who voted against get a thing, mm-hmm. those are my favorite political cards. And I wish every single political card operated that way because it adds that like insane dynamic of like, 
I could vote for, but I don't think the fours are going to have it. And if I vote for, but then the against wins, the fours get some sort of negative. You know, it's like that double-layered right. political card. And You know, here's the thing I, I don't to... like about political cards like that, though, is I always felt like it's, it's a, another one of those things where there's the in theory and there's the in practice. Yeah. Because I always felt like in practice on those cards, what happens is you see which side is going to win and you join that side. Why would you not? Yeah. You want the thingy. I don't it's know. also, I mean, I think it kind of goes on, like, that's that's something where your group kind of affects it. Yeah. Um, I feel like our group is a pretty nefarious group of little pumpkin eaters, but <laughs> they're not, we still, like, w- would just math out all the political stuff. Yeah. I mean, we kind of ruined the debate, you yeah. know? Like, there wasn't enough, like, backstabbing in the political phase. Yeah. Even, we got to a point, I remember, where it was just like, the speaker calls a vote whenever the speaker feels like it, so you could just, like, in the middle of conversation be like, it's vote we're time, we're yeah. done, we're done. Yeah, yeah. And that's cool, but it's still, things never got, like, you know, nefarious enough for me. And I don't know, this is actually, you know, now that we're talking about this, Thematically, I don't know if TI4 is really going to solve that Solve that idea, but I don't know if that was really ever their intention. I think, here's why I think it might be solved. It'll be, this remains to be determined, but the fact that you do two back-to-back and you split up your votes, I think you'll see more nefarious things. Because oh, the fact that true, everyone yeah. is putting forward all of their votes in a TI3 political card, I think definitely makes it, um, you know, easier to math out. But TI4, I mean... If you you know, I've played a lot of Game of Thrones board game, which is where they definitely pulled this mechanic from, mm-hmm. and it is never predictable what's going to happen in in those mm-hmm. votes. Um, and so, I mean, it, to only have two, honestly, it's like, man, I could I could go deeper. I wish, I wish there were more things in the game that added a third. Like as the game went on more rounds, the agenda deck kept getting even more intense. Oh god! I mean, that that might be overkill, but I've seen other people agree that they they still wished there were more political cards. I think it just comes down to thematically, political cards are still just like the coolest aspect of Twilight Imperium, and people always want to see it shake things up. The easiest to homebrew, too. Yeah, it's so yeah. tempting. Like I mean, I mean, I don't care how well Fantasy Flight makes a political deck. I, I think part of the t- and you know what. This might be a good time to say this in general. There's something about Twilight Imperium that makes people want to add to it. Yeah, absolutely. The fact that there are so many rules, and let's let's use this as a good transitioning point, because one of the other problems, uh, one of the things I won't necessarily miss from Twilight Imperium um, is the optional rules. Yeah. Uh, This is something they even touched on in in the documentary. It's just the idea of, like, they're getting away from this philosophy of having components that you add and take away mm-hmm. from the game and while at the like when I was deeply invested in like my new Twilight Imperium game that's what I was most excited about right was like this game is different every single time you play it because you can add and take away these different rules right. but what ended up being more true was that every time you try to teach a new player you can't really add in the most complicated rules most people don't want to play with the especially complicated rules cuz it's you know it's probably f- been four months at least since the last time they played and they just really want to have a good twilight imperium experience rather than a crazy chaotic mess of a ti experience Mm -hmm. um the only people who could really take advantage of like some of the weirder optional rules were people who were playing it constantly right and they don't want to order off the menu yeah you want to you want to eat it the way the chef intended for Mm -hmm. you to eat it Mm -hmm. and so yeah to, to have these all these different rule sets that change the way the game is played and and like from a community to community basis you know you 
I would go traveling and I would take my Twilight Imperium somewhere and I would meet up with like a new TI crew and their rules they wanted to play with were completely different than the ones I wanted to play with and it would completely shake up just like how you even think, you know, mm -hmm. I don't tend to play with mercenaries, but there are a lot of groups where it's like, oh, absolutely we're playing with mercenaries every single time. Yeah. And but that see, changes in the, in the game. In that way, it's really cool because it almost makes Twilight Imperium like a folk game. Yeah, you know? it's yeah. Like, what's your TI versus right. our TI? Right. It's it's interesting. Which we would love to hear from you guys about what yeah. your TI is. Yeah. And on that on that note of like homebrew things, it's like what are, what are the optional rules that you you auto include? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's some that I think I think all the optional rules that you see carrying over to TI4, I think those are the universal truths of optionals. Yeah, I agree. Flagships, mm -hmm. racial technology, mm -hmm. all of, you know, those are the things that, like, everyone wants to auto-include because those things operate off of mechanisms you already understand. Right, they're just natural extensions yeah. of the game. Yeah, you don't have to learn anything new or crazy. Um, but the ones where it's like, I love playing with Distant Suns. I love it so much. But players who... Um, are really invested in making Twilight Imperium a strategy game over a day-long experience. They hate Distant Suns. Mm -hmm. I was playing a game yesterday, and I was trying so hard at the beginning of the game to sell the idea of Distant Suns, but half the people were just like, no, I don't... I want to play a game where I'm playing to win. I don't want to play a game where I'm just dodging obstacles the whole game. And it's a fair argument, but it, that was always the problem, is like, how do you convince people to play your favorite optional rule if mm -hmm. they're just not going to be down to play it? I can't say that. I mean, I like... It's weird. I like Distant Suns when it works, but when it just seems to be Ruthless. something that slows yeah. down early expansion. Absolutely. And, like, Distant Suns occasionally would kneecap somebody, yeah. actually. It would, like... Somebody would find, like, the nuke or something. Yeah. That, there was a nuke in, in Distant Suns, right? Like a soup, yeah, it was yeah. like a... It would kill all of the yeah, ground kill forces trying to invade. Yeah, and, yeah, like stuff like that would happen. And then, and you know, who knows? Maybe that would happen to the newest player at the table. And yeah. then it just feels like, oh, they're having a bad experience. Yeah. And also, some a point I want to make about optional rules in general before we get into too many specifics is one of the problems that I always had with them uh, is that this, this understanding, this knowing in my heart that there's no way that they play-tested all of the permutations of right. optional rules. Yeah. So it felt like when you were going into the optional rules territory, it's like, we are in the Wild West, yeah. and I don't know, you know, if we pick this rule, this rule, this rule, maybe, like, that's never, like, that... And there were so many ambiguities within that. You could, mm -hmm. you could so easily be like, wait a second, is a ground force the same as a mechanized unit? <laughs> and then you just run into all these ridiculously crazy <laughs> situations where it's like, I don't know if they fully thought about what impact having mechanized units would have on this game. So a lot of times, I, I would be really interested in a new rule. We would throw it into yeah. our rules ecosystem, right. and it would start eating the other rules or fighting <laughs> the other, you know. And, and I would just feel like, man, I don't know if we needed to even throw this one yeah. in, you yeah. know. Yeah, and that would impact my decision to throw it in next game. It was like, I don't know, last time it just really cloistered things up to, to such yeah, a... Yeah, like, the, I, I, we played with political intrigue only, like, a small oh God, handful of yeah. times. Like I every couldn't... time we play with it, I was like, this is, like... And, and again, I know people that swear by political intrigue. I mean, there are groups where it's yeah. like, you gotta have a Shut up and sit it's down what, played with yeah. it when they did their, their yeah. video. It only, like, for some people, that is what makes political scenarios fun, is the fact that you can assassinate someone's person coming to the Galactic Council. Like, that is what makes them dynamic and interesting. To But to us, it was always like, oh, cool, we're just going to add three hours to the playtime of this game? No yeah. thanks. And not, and I just want to get to the voting. That was one of those things, like, that uh, we've we've kind of brought this concept up, like, several times um, of a game mechanic that is, like, 
thematically exciting, yes. but not really much of an actual payoff. And that's how I felt about political yeah. intrigue. Yeah. Was like this isn't. This it was isn't just really a adding card that, game. Yeah. It yeah. wasn't. It wasn't. It didn't ever feel like to me. I was actually bringing these people to the Galactic Council. It was and, just like. I gotta play my trap card against you. Right, and there were a lot of, like, problems with political in general that political injury did not Didn't fix. fix. Yeah. It just added little extra things to yeah. it, and it was like, dude, still regularly the voting isn't really that exciting, and yeah. now you've added, like, an extra layer right. of, like, I've you can't vote now, yeah. and it's like, oh, well, that was the only guy who had any votes left right. anyways. Right. Like, yeah, and, and on a similar note within this optional rule thing, um... This is more to, like, the Distant Suns point, um, but the the idea of having these rules that rely on you pulling up a schematic and, like, reading from a list, mm-hmm. I, I love Distant Suns, and I love the, the crazy effects that it can have, but there is definitely a design flaw in, I flip over a token, oh, it's an eyeball. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> I guess I'll have to get out the rule book. Like, there's kind of this delay of expectations and, like, you know, getting the actual impact until you memorize all of those things. No one ever knows what that means. Oh, and, like, and with Final Frontier, you flip over a space token and it's a big red X and everyone goes, oh, what is that? Oh, no, guys, it's nothing. It's absolute. it's zero things. You're fine. It's nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just, like, the there's so many rules in the game that, like, require you to look up the rule book and see, you know, that that was the problem with the tech tree. It's like, oh my god, I'm constantly having to pass around this tech tree. You know, distance sounds I'm constantly having to pass around and and let people see what they're flipping over. The fact that, like, there were so many rules that relied on you checking the rule book to remember, like, what the effects were going to be is a problem. And, I mean, I've seen... I, I, th- I hope there are expansions to TI4. Mm-hmm. I hope Distant Suns is one of them. Distant Suns, it seems like, has always been kind of a mainstay of the Twilight Imperium experience. I've well, it's s- a name of... I th- isn't it a name of an expansion to an old TI game? Don't at me on that. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, uh, I've seen a lot of people, like, kind of brainstorming new ideas for how Distant Suns can work. And I, I don't know if this is too far off topic, but I think the point here to make is people talk about what if there's a, a a deck of cards that is different random events that you you shuffle up the deck and when you invade a new planet you just flip over the top card of the deck rather than having these tokens that then make you refer to a rule book i think what they've tried to do in ti4 is put more things on the cards themselves mm-hmm. you know all the units have all of their information on the card and when you upgrade the units you upgrade the card and and to have that same component added to the planet system is something I think could work and I think stays with the the theory behind TI4 of like make everything easily digestible yeah. and I think that's what people are looking for so I think that's why you don't see a lot of these mechanics in the base game of TI4 because TI4 they're using to set the stage of like here's what our standard is mm-hmm. for for what we're expecting and all of the optional rules that have these ridiculously complex mechanisms we have to go back to the drawing board on them mm-hmm. because we Dial we do back. not want people constantly referring to the rules mm-hmm. to try to just figure out how to do basic things I think the thing that I didn't like about Distant Suns in TI3 was that Every single planet got a token. Like, that just seemed to be the part that was overkill to me. Was like, really, there needs to be a token on every single planet. Like, if there was a way... Like, imagine how how much cooler the board would look 
if like the tokens were only on a handful yeah. of planets. Well, you so know, then you're like looking at like, oh, okay, so that system, you know, that planet, it's not worth very much. Yeah. I can like kind of expand to that one last, but it does have a distant sun token yeah, on it. Which might be so something. which might be something and it might not be. Yeah. But the idea of it being on the, every single planet right. needed to have this level of randomness yeah. to it. It didn't even really make sense thematically. Like, and then really like these guys don't know anything about these planets. Right, they're, right. They're and you know the, the designers of the game I would say even recognize that because in shards they they implemented the, like the idea of a less impactful distant suns where you mm-hmm. you shuffle out the kind of like oh these are like easygoing distant suns right, put right. those adjacent you know in the <clears throat> outer ring adjacent mm-hmm. to people's home systems and then put the tough ones in the middle but even that feels like it doesn't feel like something that should have been designed by the designers of the game that feels like something that's just like players had to cobble together some reason to make it to where their neighbor system wasn't all nukes and yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you don't want to see that. Um, yeah, nobody wants to play that. That's and you the know, thing. I I think I think you're gonna see something like what you're talking about because you have these new planet classifications mm-hmm. that currently th- that is definitely the sign that they're planning to do something with planets because right now having these civilized or industrial or hazardous planets right now has almost no impact. There's some action cards that refer to it and there's some political cards that refer to it and that's it. But for something to be so like in your face. I mean, it's printed on every single planet card that it has this classification. They're going to do something with yeah, that. They're and gonna I build think, on it. I think Distant Suns is going to be that thing, because you're going to see the civilized planets have different types of Distant Suns counters or cards or whatever than the hazardous ones do. And that's exactly what I think you're you're getting at, is like mm-hmm. the idea of looking at a planet, planet and knowing that's the hazardous one. It's yeah. going to be a high risk, maybe high reward to go for it. See, I like that dynamic. Yes. I did not like be every a... planet is a random dice yes. roll. Like yeah. every single one. It's like, dude, there's already enough moving parts to this mm-hmm. thing. There's already enough ways that your game can kind of just go in the toilet. Yeah, absolutely. Do we want to talk about Follow the Empire a little bit? Because we don't know what it is. We might as well get it out now. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, in, in the idea of optional rules, there's all these rules that like Hunter and I just don't even... Don't even know about because it's like I never invest the time to even try to implement it. One of the simplest ones, honestly, before we get to follow the empire, is facilities. Which, when uh, we were prepping this episode, I actually didn't know about Hunter it. doesn't even know that this rule exists <laughs> uh, because I've never bothered. Here's the thing: I feel like I have to preface this point because people are gonna be like, "What? You don't play with facilities and colonies? You're crazy!" Because a lot of people swear by them. Because it is a pretty simple mechanic. It's not that it complex. It sounds really simple. But I'm surprised the, we never tried it. The problem is, Hunter and I, it has been so long since Hunter and I have had a solid group of players who all know how to play. We've been... Whoa, whoa, whoa. let's be clear, though. We, for a very long time, had, had a that. large group yes, of, yes, yes, like, yes, yes. very slick like, killers. Saying... Like, just like, <laughs> yeah. They'd sneak into your bed and play T.I. with you. <laughs> Games for Hunter and I, for the past long time, have been, there's always at least one new player. Mm -hmm. So introducing all these excessive mechanics, even if they're like fairly simple to understand, if it was anything added, it was not worth teaching. Mm -hmm. Because we're too busy trying to teach the game of Twilight Imperium, which is a very complex game to teach. So facilities never made the cut. Mm -hmm. um, To the point where like, I don't even remember how facilities work very well, and I never wanted to look it up again. And so we just never played with it. Uh, another rule that just totally 
never worked and no one ever cared about. You guys know what sabotage runs are? <laughs> I bet you maybe don't because they're probably the worst rule in TI3. They're an, a, an only thematic rule. I hate saying worst rule stuff because I love the designers of TI3 and I think their game is amazing and I hate ragging on what they've done. They built an amazing thing. They yes. built a giant amazing thing. And you know what? A couple this... things slipped through the cracks. Yeah, come on. <laughs> sabotage runs... Uh, from a statistical perspective, do not make any sense at all. Mm-hmm. I forget when I when I was first like paying attention to sabotage runs. I feel like I did the math, and it was like you would have to sacrifice like sixty fighters to have like a st- statistical chance of blowing up a war. Zone. Well, explain to explain to the kids what it is. The idea is, uh, it's it's the Death Star trench run. Trench run. Is thank what you. It is. Um, so the whole idea is you can send a fighter at a war sun and you roll oh my god i just i can't believe this you you dedicate fighters to doing this and by dedicating i mean you're going to blow up your fighters you're not right. you're not there's not a chance that they will survive this it's no i'm going to kill every single one of these but then, it is a pre-fire thing it happens before it's a pre-fire space thing battle. but you roll a die for every fighter committed to the sabotage run on an unmodified result of 9 or 10 the fighter makes it through the outer defenses of the war sun then you have to do the inner defenses, and you have to roll a die, and if you get an unmodified result of a 10, only 10, you have to crit, then you blow up the war sun. So you have to get a you have to get a 1 out of 5 roll, and then you have to get a 1 out of a 10 roll, and you're sacrificing all of your fighters to do so. That's insane. That's like, insane. Like, to be able to do that, yeah, I'm not going to do all the math right now, but, like, it is seriously so many fighters you would have to sacrifice to having, like, a decent chance of making that happen versus just let your fighters fight the war sun yeah. <laughs> and probably score enough hit. Like, if, you ha- if, you're, if you're sending enough fighters where you could successfully do a sabotage run, you have enough fighters to just fight through this, this like, you can take the hits. On I, get, your I get what the idea of it is, though. It's it's more for like when you're when the war sun is going up against like a force that it, I you mean, can't it's just crush yeah, it. Like yeah. there's no chance. So you just do a sabotage run, I guess. Just I mean, I don't know, just yeah. to see. It's one of those rules that was never even worth the breath to say whether or not we were including it. <laughs> it was just like if anyone were to look in the rule book and be like, "Oh wait, are we playing with the rule sabotage runs?" My response would be, yeah, sure. Dude, yeah, well, that's the thing, though. I was just about to say, I have done it. Yeah. Like, in games Very, before. very, very early on, I tried it out, and then yeah. went, yeah, never again. I'm not, yeah, that's yeah. so stupid. But I, I, I've definitely done it, and I know when I've done it, it, was, it, it wasn't that we discussed it. It was that <laughs> I was in the game, and I saw a use for it, and I was like, all right, so we're playing with Sab. Well, that's a rule we're playing yeah. with, when we've always been playing with it. <laughs> right? What? Yeah, we've been we're playing with that it. rule, and I'm doing that now because I want to. All right, let me roll. Oh, it didn't work. Oh, wow. Yeah, it didn't work. I didn't even... I only had three fighters. <laughs> um, so then, yeah, the last the last big rule that just has never touched isn't a rule. It's Shards of the Throne came with this whole new board game packaged with it called Fall of the Empire. I've never even heard people talk about it. I've heard, a co- I, I've heard I'd people be interested say they to hear. It. Yeah, I'd be interested to hear what people have to say you know, about it. here's the thing about it. I think nowadays it's totally irrelevant because Fall of the Empire became Rex. Yeah, yeah. They simplified everything they tried to do in Fall of, off Fall of the Empire. They they made Dune again and and all of the best parts of Fall of the Empire 
just became Rex. So if you don't know, Rex is a, an another Twilight Imperium like extended board game. It's based off the old Dune. Dune board game. All of the best parts of Fall of the Empire got implemented into Rex, and to the point where like I always wanted to like, hey, the crew that plays Twilight Imperium enough to like be okay with not actually playing Twilight Imperium once, that's who I'm going to get together to play Fall of the Empire someday. Mm-hmm. And it got to the point where I was like, you know what? I don't think that's ever going to happen. I don't know that I'm ever going to play Fall of the Empire. Well, you bought Rex, and yeah. Rex just kind of has a lot of the same thematic and mechanical ideas yeah. in it. It is it is a different type of game to where I still would love to try Fall of the Empire, but I, just, I still don't think it's ever going to happen. Because here's the problem with Fall of the Empire. You call up your buddies, you say, hey, we're gonna, we want to play Twilight Imperium soon. And they're like, oh, man, I haven't played that in six months or a year or whatever, something right. crazy. Yeah. I never get to play Twilight Imperium. Cool. Do you want to play this completely different scenario that is untested and I have no idea if it's any good? Or do you want to just play the good board game Twilight Imperium? Mm-hmm. And the response is always, can we just – I don't want to learn a new thing. Can we just right. play Twilight Imperium, please? Here's the one – aspect of Fall of the Empire that I was always curious about, yes. and this is not represented in Rex, it's just that someone plays as the Laz Axe. Yeah. You have that a Laz Axe player in Rex, but it is not the same idea. Mm-hmm. Like, because the to have someone playing in the center of the galaxy on Mechatol Rex, and like watching it's everyone... It's Yeah, it's so yeah. cool, and, and Rex takes that idea of like, ooh, someone's the superpower, and it does a completely different thing with it, to where, yeah, I totally agree that, like, I, I still, that's the one thing that keeps drawing me back to, like, we gotta play one game of Fall of the Empire, because, like, mm-hmm. I just want to know what it's like to play as that guy in the center of the galaxy that, like, is just trying to ward everyone off. Yeah, that's gotta be insane. Uh, yeah, please uh, please write in with some Fall of the Empire stories. Yeah, yeah, we, I, we, if anything, like, the errata for this episode, I want to be talking about some of the best parts of Fall of the Empire or other rules that like are going to be gone that yeah. you that you want to Yeah, there's stuff see. we didn't play with, you yeah. know. That's just how it is. So the the last couple things I think we want to talk about are just um, a little we're going to get a little bit more specific now. We I think we've been hitting some pretty broad mm-hmm. strokes and I I just want to talk about, you know, things we've even somewhat discussed in our TI4 discussions, but I am not gonna miss how bad the start the Sardak Nor start. Yeah. Not gonna miss not gonna miss some of these overly complicated problems that different races and whatnot had. Well you played a game recently with a new player. I played a new yesterday I played a game. Mm-hmm. A new player was playing Sardak Nor, and the problem with Sardak Nor's start is Someone looks at Sardak Nor, they see, oh, this race has plus one to all combat rules. That seems pretty basic. I'm a new player. I can get I, I can get yeah. behind that, yeah. and I understand what to do. It's very tempting for a new very player. Very tempting for a new player. And the problem with Sardak Nor is because they start with such bad forces, it actually requires a lot of game knowledge from the player to know how to come back from that. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, the player that, that played the game yesterday had a very, very hard time because they didn't produce the amount of stuff they needed to produce round one to be able to come back from that problem. And I have seen that happen so many, many times. Yes. I've seen so many times someone sit down, they're learning the game for the first time, they're looking at all these races, oh my god, all the all the bonuses are so so yeah. complicated, and they see the Sardak Nor and they're like, they're good at combat. That yeah. sounds really straightforward. Yeah. Let's do that. Yeah. And then it's like, no, actually that race starts with basically a built-in handicap. Yes, and you, and you have to understand how to combat that handicap and it's very difficult and to honestly do. the extra kind of had the same deal too of yeah. having like a like 
something that seemed like pretty straightforward. Yep. Uh, oh, they're defensive, and then like they just the, their problem is more just like a starting unit problem, no yeah. less so than Sardak Nor, but it was yeah. definitely there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, another another kind of racial thing that I'm not gonna miss. This one I go back and forth on. Honestly, I think I will miss this a little bit, but. For the most part, I'm not going to miss the Yasaro tribes just having this dominating presence yeah. on TI3. We got to the point where we just straight up stopped playing with the Yasaro tribes because I feel like we had four or five games in a row where they won mm-hmm. because of what Yasaro tribes were able to do. And I'm in love with the changes they made for TI4 because they make more thematic sense and they make more balance sense. Mm-hmm. And the Yasaro tribes in TI3 were just this looming presence of... Well, I think... it. I don't even think it was so much that they were winning all the time so much as every single game we played, someone played as the Yasaro yes. tribes. Yes. That really was it. We just got tired of that flavor. Even the idea... Like, yeah, the fact that people knew they were one of the best races meant if you ever, if you had, ever had them in your draft... You're going to pick the Yasaro tribes. Yeah. And so, yeah, we, we, we played too many games in a row. It's kind of like how, honestly, I feel the same way about Jolnar and Hakan. I feel like anytime they're drawn by someone, they get played. That's for true. the most part. I've had a few recent games where that's not been the case. But it feels like in TI3, Jolnar, Yasaro, and Hakan are in almost every single game I've ever played. Mm-hmm. Because their bonuses are so obvious and so good. No one ever wants to pass him up. And honestly, the the problem might be that in TI4, Hakan and Jolnar still have that, that right. issue. That, I feel like lure. Yeah, I feel like you're still gonna see them in pretty much every game. Well, I mean they're like I mean they're textbook. They're textbook yes. Twilight Imperium yeah. races. Well and that drives home that same point of like people want to play a race that makes quick, easy sense. Yeah, I mean so, you're committing so much time, you know, yeah, like you, Right. I just wanna pick the thing that I understand what what a, I feel like that's why um Ghosts of Creus get picked so often too. Mm-hmm. Ghosts of Creus is this race that like actually operates very strangely, and like you have to do really interesting things with them. But when a new player looks at the sheet and go, "Ooh, I get to do crazy wormhole stuff," I I understand that mm-hmm. just from a baseline value. Right. I just I get what to do with that, mm-hmm. and um, I think it's kind of it it tricks them into thinking they're going to have an obvious success, and it doesn't always work out that way. Right. Um, I don't know if that is really a point in what we're talking about in this whole episode. I don't know if that is something that I won't miss from TI. I think that's still going to be present in TI4 somewhat, but oh, whatever. Oh, for sure, for sure. That actually might be uh, something, once TI4 comes out, that might be a good idea for an episode. Um, not necessarily like a, another another alternate tier list, but to list the races based on easy new to play, players. hard to play, new yeah. to play. Like, yeah. yeah. Like, especially just the idea of what races are good for new players. Yeah. I mean, the Learn to Play for TI4 has, like, a list of races that you yeah, should play with Yeah, who you first. should start with. I don't necessarily trust that, though. I don't know. There's probably yeah, a way they, Because they chose those races more on a thematic sense. Yeah, these are, like, some of the, those are the, the most basic yes. Twilight um, races. And, and yeah, I, I agree that... And honestly, I think part of our tier list does somewhat address... Like, I do think of most of our top tier as, like, pretty simple to pick up and play... Yeah. races um, yeah. but yeah i would i would like to re come at that that idea and and specifically for new players what do you think about. was the easiest race to play in ti3 was it yasarl no um because the strength of yasarl wasn't always like the fact that you should skip like i would have to right. explain that to players yeah if they true. if i explained it to them they were like okay i can do that and i know how to do that and i will make use of it but if you don't explain like how powerful skipping is they don't 
they don't take up that call. They don't mm-hmm. they don't try it out. Um, I think the the most successful race for a new player might be Hakan, honestly. Yeah. The fact the fact that in TI three the money was so automatic, and so often new players um, are very frivolous with their trade agreements. You don't see a lot of you see a lot of early round trade negotiations just being like peace amongst the galaxy. Yay. I want everyone to trade. Everyone trade. And if Hakan is in the game, that makes them a lot of money, and they don't have to think about it very much, and they just end up with so many dollars that that's true. They and run the, away. And with the more it. money you have, that maybe the more uh, room you have to make mistakes. Exactly. You know. Exactly. Yeah. They they can afford to just like get a tech every single round, even though for most people it's like it's not always the smartest thing to get a tech every round. You need mm-hmm. to be investing in units, but it's like, well, they've got so much money, they can do both. So, yeah, whatever. That's true. What else are we going to miss? Or, <laughs> no, we're <laughs> not going to miss. Uh, I've got a big one. Um, yeah. So, in, <laughs> in TI... You really got a bone to pick. I got this, a bone actually. to pick. Um, in TI3 base game, there was a strategy card that had a very, very bad secondary ability. And then... They released a new version of that strategy card in Shattered Empire with the variant cards, and they barely changed the secondary ability, and it was still very, very, very bad. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about Warfare, um, and I know, I know people are going to come at me and be like, no, actually, this is how Warfare secondary <laughs> is very good, and I've used a lot. No, it's so specific. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about, of course, you're going to get use out of it every once in a while, mm-hmm. but I think... In total, across every single game of Twilight Imperium I've ever played, I have used the Warfare 1 or Warfare 2 secondary ability no more than five times. Yeah. Total. Now, what is that ability, Matt? Tell us. That's so long. (laughs) Good lord. Okay, here we go. Throw it out there. Spend one command counter from your strategy allocation area to choose one or two of your destroyers slash cruiser units anywhere on the board. Each unit may now move to an adjacent, empty... (laughs) non-home system, then place one of your command counters from your reinforcements in each destination system. So you can send out a couple of ships, activate systems that you want to send them to, and that's and for what purpose? Like, the only thing this was ever good for was if you need to set up a little barricade, you need to set up your little wall um, to, to make people not be able to jump straight to your home system or something like mm-hmm. that. But... There's so many specifics, like the, the chance that you were going to have an empty, adjacent, non-home system was just ridiculous. I mean, I, it, I, I think the utility of it, I get. Yes, I, I of get course. The, I get the possible utility of it, but does it belong on a strategy card? Does no. it belong on something that's going to happen like All every round? And, and the idea of it too, right, is the, the point of some of these secondary abilities is like they're kind of supposed to counterweight the primary ability, right? Mm-hmm. And so what's what's the idea we're getting across with Warfare? Okay, Warfare is... Warfare 1 is I'm going to be able to take another action. So it gives the other players an opportunity to like, oh no, he's going to come at me strong. Let me set up my barricade. Sure. Well, that is only like half of a solution. The fact that TI4, the new solution is we've put the protection step on the secondary, that makes sense. That's, yeah. oh my gosh, you're going you're gonna to move your stuff again? Well, I'm going to re... I'm going to build up at my home system so that you can't tear it to pieces. Um, the the Warfare 2 secondary didn't change things very much. Spend one command counter from your strategy allocation area to move up to two of your ships so they improved it from just having to be destroyers and cruisers. But you have to move it from unactivated systems into adjacent systems that you control and it doesn't activate the destination system. So it improved it. You don't have to leave it activated. 
But it, the fact that it had to be an adjacent system that you controlled always made it not yeah, very useful. Very the fact that yeah. you can... I mean, it's, it's similar to like a transfer action. Transfer actions have a very particular use. Um, and when you can use them, they're incredibly useful. But most of the time, the situation doesn't call for a transfer action. And warfare secondary almost has that same problem. But... You don't get to choose the timing of when you do like the the advantage of a transfer action is you get to choose when you're gonna maybe do that transfer action and make it work to your benefit. Warfare's secondary just comes up randomly when mm -hmm. whoever has warfare decides to play it. And so if you're set up in a situation where you can use it, great. Maybe you get a little bit of use out of that, but you almost never saw any benefit. And also the it's 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 high cost. It is. And spending a strat spending a whole depending on how the game is going. I mean, sometimes the TI three command counter economy would get completely out of whack yeah, and everybody so had way too many command counters. That's one thing that I'll say that I don't miss yeah. or I won't miss is I'm glad that in TI4 the command counter economy is a little more important. Yeah. No more bonus counters? Yeah, no more bonus counters to add like command like it just felt like sometimes there were way too many command yeah. counters on the board and I am the type of player that where was. I would manage that stuff to where I was always golden yeah. and it just felt like, you know, the I, I wanted that system to challenge me a yeah. little more, and I felt like earlier on it did, and then I just got to a point where I was always like, no, I'll, I'm, I'll have plenty. Yeah, yeah. Initiative. Do we want to talk about initiative at all? We can talk about That's initiative. That's something that you like, though. That's what it I is. I like initiative. See, I actually, I actually don't... I didn't really like initiative. Um, we have Here's the thing. We have not played with the black strategy cards in a very long time you probably haven't either though you listener <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean it's uh, the white card solved so many problems um that yeah it, we got away from it and i do kind of miss how initiative worked where you don't have an action to take your own but you get to do all the secondary actions if you want to and you get the speaker token i think they tried to move speaker token into the political realm and it always never felt like quite enough incentive Mm -hmm. To play, like, they tried to get, they put speaker token on assembly so that people would draw assembly, because otherwise no one was ever drawing political. Um, but it didn't, it just still didn't ever seem like quite enough incentive, whereas with initiative, it was enough incentive. But initiative is the reason that, like, the speaker token would move around in such a boring way. Yes, and, the, yes and no. I mean, it was initiative combined with Imperial 1. When sure. you add Imperial 2, you didn't see initiative just walk around the board as much. That's true. Um, but you're right that to have that kind of weird stipulation of you don't get to draw it twice in a row mm -hmm. um, is a little a little weird and a little overly complicated. Mm -hmm. um, and I know your your beef with is is that you you don't like the idea of someone just getting to do every single secondary without yeah. thinking about it. Yeah, that just seems just like... Just because they picked a card. It just doesn't, it's not, to me, it's not very interesting. You know yeah. what I mean? It's just like, oh, like it's, it's, it's a nice free, it's, it's just too powerful. That's too many things. Yeah. Like speaker, that, like strategic actions, uh, it's too much, too yeah. much. Yeah. And also I always thought it was the only, the only counterbalance to initiative is that because it's number one, that you have to, and and you're, you're like, yeah, you're getting to do all the secondaries for free, but you're gonna go first, which means your first round, unless you're Isarl, which Isarl with initiative, doing a skip, yeah. the first round, like that's awesome, um, but you're gonna have to make some sort of move, yeah, the first, yeah, you're forced, to yeah, do you're kind of forced to do something. Whereas you know, normally if you have a strategy card, your first round does not have to be, all right, I'm moving these ships over here, yeah. you know, like you, you don't, have another option, you have another option, yeah. 
Um, but that is not much of a counterweight at all. Yeah, you know? it's true. A lot of these uh, little micro discussions have, have petered out right there at the end, and I think it's fitting that I think we kind of let the episode... Is there anything else we want mm, to talk about? I mean, I wrote down Ion Storms. I think Ion Storms are bad. Glad to see them gone. There's <laughs> hey, no... guys, we think Ion Storms are bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that really just goes back to the note of, like, I never could remember how Ion Storms worked. Mm-hmm. So every time they got put in the game, I had to open up the rulebook and be like, oh, yeah, it's uh, it's this weird thing. Dude, that's and they true. Were just, I like, can't even remember how they work right now. You they're... move in and stay, but then you have to pay to move out. That, no, that's gravity rift. See, this oh is my the God. problem. How do you? How do you they're, do them? They're like half nebulas. Is the thing you oh. do have to stop in them, and fighters can't fight in them, and PDS can't fire into that's them. That's how it was. And it was always Come on. they. They were. They just never had an impact, really. Um, so yeah, I don't know. There's all kinds of rules that are weird in TI3. Um, tell us, tell us about the rules that you yeah, like. Yeah, because um, that that that's Our, a better jumping off point, honestly. Than because we're just talking about. There's no way we're gonna. We don't want to talk about all the rules. We're not going to. Yeah. Um, and we we're kind of just talking. <laughs> yeah, we talked about quite a few. Um, but we we were just kind of talking about the things that really stuck out to us. Um, here's a weird thing to mm-hmm. say before we go. I like mercenaries. Yeah, I don't. I do. The day, the debate begins. I think, <laughs> we, I, I think we have an idea of what next week's episode is going to be, and I think it's going to be some of these things that we do like. So... If anything, to, to pre-errata a little bit, yeah, tell us what you what you are most going to miss from TI3, because yeah, next the, week the we're... the stuff that's getting lost. In yeah, the I think we're going to talk a lot more in about... In the transfer action. <laughs> the stuff that's being lost in the transfer action to TI4. Ooh, Do you know what I mean? How poetic. That's being lost in the transfer action. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, that's going to... We're going to call it there. This has been fun. Uh, I don't like leaders. Oh, are we are we done? Are We're we done. Ending? Goodbye. Oh, uh, okay. I like Final Frontier. <laughs>Welcome to Space Cats, Peace Turtles, Errata. Look at this weird mood I'm in. Yeah. Hey, welcome. Hey, how you doing? We Sit just down. Play, we just played uh, like a half of a game of Twilight Imperium with some new players. So yeah. I think we're both just like jazzed up and kind of like ready to. Yeah, we got a lot of feels. Uh, we didn't get to finish our game. Uh, game Twilight was... Imperium three, we should say. Yeah, Twilight, Twilight Imperium three. Just, we still haven't played four. Um, it was a good game. Do you want to say anything about the game? Do you want to say anything about the game? We got time. This is a shorter episode. Yeah, yeah. We, we've been, I played a game yesterday and then half of a game today. Uh, today's game was really teaching essentially three new players and, uh, Hunter and I did not leave it. We accidentally decided to start positions right next to each other. Which we've done so many times we now when we're teaching people. And actually, I would like to make a point to anybody else who has this dynamic. If you're, if there are two people in the game that are experienced, just try and find a way for them to not sit next to each other because me and Matt played a real game of Twilight Imperium against <laughs> right. each other and the other three players just kind of were like, cool, well, I'm going to You guys look like you're having a lot of fun over yeah, there. Like, I think I'm going to build a dreadnought. Like, if you're a new player, you need to be sitting next to an experienced player so that they can mess with you so that you actually get out of your shell and yeah. play real Twilight Imperium yeah. instead of doing, you know, the like... Classic, like, oh well, here's my things. I'm yeah. gonna, I'm gonna get nice yeah. things. I like my things. Getting a little piddly, yeah. So that is something I think we'll talk a lot more about later. We're gonna eventually do kind of a, a beginner's guide, but yeah, I'm but yeah, it's just it's fresh on the brain. Um, yeah, definitely, definitely don't let the experienced players be right next to each other because I was Clanisar and Hunter was Necro, Necro, and boy howdy, did we have at it. We traded some blows. It looked like like immediately, too. yeah, like round two. Matt messed up my world, and round three, I messed up his world. Yeah. Literally, 
Uh, we, d we do these little diary cams because we're eventually hoping to release some video content for you guys. Yeah. And in the in the first take of my diary cam, I was just like, this game is not going to be good for the two of us. And that is exactly what I went down. Yeah. yeah. So enough about that. Let's do some real errata, honey. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're cut. We're we're paint with a wide brush. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Last week was our tier list episode, and the errata for this episode has to has to take a little bit of a different turn because I mean, really, what it comes down to is we made this tier list um, with the purposes of keeping it as our tier list. So we're not like we're not we're not going to immediately change the tier list because no, of points no, you guys brought. Up. No. We totally hear everything you guys said and we we love getting the discussion um but we're not really going to dig into specific points this time because um it's just something that like this these will be discussions that continue to play out over the next few months as we get the game and like learn these things for ourselves and continue to discuss our games with you guys so like the tier list isn't changing for a while and um, we and we came into the tier list knowing that it was kind of an ambitious thing to try and stuff into one episode right and we did stuff it into i would say a pretty normal size space cats peace turtles yeah. episode which i think honestly most people that had anything negative to say about it i would say that I, what i would say to you is basically like those are all valid points, but mostly it just comes down to we needed to talk about all 17 races in yeah. one episode, and so that's why it was like that. Yeah, yeah. So, like, the first thing to kind of address is, like, there were multiple points of someone who would say, I agree with your spot of X race on the list, but I feel like you didn't bring up this point. And, like, kudos on you of wanting more content out of us, and we want to be providing as much information as possible. But in this particular context, there are things we didn't bring up that we did consider and like they were part of our decisions for putting things in a certain spot on the tier list it just wasn't worth the energy to talk about because we had so many other things to talk uh, to talk about the biggest example of that is things like we very rarely talked about people's starting techs mm -hmm. um we did we talked about it when we felt it was especially important like with the nalu or jolnar where it's kind of an obvious like you should bring up how good those starting techs are mm -hmm. but beyond that you know the idea that races that start with two techs are better than most of the other races well if you look at our top two tiers of this list every single one of them is one of the races that has more than one tech so it is something we considered and we do think it is a thing that holds strong value everything in the lower tiers is a race that only starts with one tech so it is something that we considered uh it's just something we didn't talk a lot about and so consider this now us talking about it starting with two techs is amazing and is important to your success right. in ti4 it's, we assume it's something that we built into the tier without explicitly saying it just because we were right. trying to get through we were trying to go through that at, as, as fluidly as possible yeah. so that we could really get in there and not you know to not just to have, like, okay, here's the three-hour, like, yeah. crazy... And that point is doubly made with the fact that we didn't... We pretty much didn't talk about any races starting fleets, save for, like, what, Embers of Muwap because it was bad, mm -hmm. Sardak Nors because it was bad. But, like, we didn't talk about a lot of other starting fleets because to race by race dig into two carriers and one Dreadnought right. and one... Dist or whatever, like, that would have added 45 minutes to an hour to the length of the podcast, and it was just not enough time to talk about. But also, a lot of that stuff we are saving um, for... Yeah. Well, first of all, when we've actually played TI4 would be super useful. This tier list was meant to always to be a first-pass theoretical tier list, um, and basically a lot of the, like, homeworld, like, starting unit discussion for us is kind of saved for when we do our first round kind of overview yes. of each race, which is something that is in the pipeline and we are still going to do. Um, I have always loved the idea 
Um, and we're we're definitely going to get there, but yeah. we're going to get our hands on the game before we give you that. Yeah. So that and and we think the starting unit composition plays way more into just like how does their first round go? Because beyond that, like then you start building new units and like your game kind of takes off in a lot of different directions. I absolutely agree that starting units are important, but it's a discussion we want to save for later. That's mm-hmm. that's the biggest totally. gist of it. Totally. Um. So the only other thing would be like talking about the starting planets of races and like the only ones that I think are of note are the Lizix and the Baroneletnev and everything else I mean is fairly similar there's stuff you can do with Emirates of Hakan um, and yeah just so much of that stuff was not worth the time it would have taken to explain all of it um, so I feel like I almost we just actively chose to maybe bring it up in this errata and not waste the time Yeah, it yeah. would have detracted from the conversation we were just trying to move beat to beat to beat so mm-hmm. um, yeah if you disagreed with with our tier list, that's fine. Um, as as far as I can see it, there's really only one other valid tier list on the market right, right now, right. and that was designed by Jada Paik. You can find it in our discussions of last episode. You just find his on his tier list Geek. on Board Game Geek, the Board Game Geek discussion of this of episode six. Jada Paik posted a tier list, and that's about the only one in existence I think that has any validity. Yeah, it's ours and his, and his is I mean it was it's carved in stone. Carved in stone, yeah. A lot of thought put into it too. I was I was yeah. surprised by how much effort uh, he went through just to just to kind of put up like another point to. Alice. He's a real stinker. I mean, sorry, a thinker. <laughs> that was so lame. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's gonna do it for us. I think we leave on that note on that thinker of a joke uh, and um, that stinker of a joke. That, that was my. I was really I was funny at the festival, guys. Oh yeah, Hunter had a comedy festival, and I was funny. You did all right. Uh, so I used my stinker joke, like I just used. <laughs> all right, we, we gotta go. Uh, we want to throw out there again of um, you know keep the discussion going. Mm-hmm. Uh, hit us up on our Reddit posts, our <laughs> board game geek posts, Twitter, at, tweeter, tw- our tweeters, our farkbacks, our <laughs> anywhere and anywhere you can get a hold of us. We're on write Facebook. us, mail us letters. <laughs> going off the rails. Uh, no, but seriously, we're at Space Pat. <laughs> I hate this. What is happening? At Space Pat's Case Kernels. <laughs> we are at Space Cats Pod on Twitter. We are Space Cats Peace Turtles on Facebook. Our email is Space Cats Peace Turtles at gmail.com. Please get at us, talk about the show, tweet about the show, use the hashtags TI4, use the hashtag SpaceCatsPeaceTurtles. Don't use the hashtag SpaceCats because turns out that's a whole other thing. <laughs> that's <laughs> already defined. That's They've def- already figured that out. <laughs> that's a weird territory of Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so yeah, SpaceCatsPeaceTurtle and uh, just keep getting the word out there. We want to make TI as big as it can possibly be. So uh, I got one one last errata. Um, actually, uh, I just want to say before we're done, um, I do think uh, that the Yin Brotherhood are actually a lot better than what we said. I want to kind of take that back. Good night. I'm done. Good night. Bye bye. Goodbye. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Space Cats Peace Turtles. And thank you to Ben Prunty for the use of his music. You can find more at benpruntymusic.com and benprunty.bandcamp.com. Pax Magnifica. Bellum Gloriosum.